This morning, God's Word comes to us from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, and we are going to read just the verses 7 through 10 of this chapter. Galatians 6, beginning at verse 7. What we hear now is God's Word. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. If you have a Psalter and want to turn to the back, we're going to read a number of articles from Head of Doctrine 5 in the Canons of Dort entitled The Perseverance of the Saints. I'm going to begin by reading Article 2. Article 2, hence spring forth the daily sins of infirmity and blemishes cleave even to the best work of the saints. These are to them a perpetual reason to humiliate themselves before God and to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to mortify the flesh more and more by the spirit of prayer and by holy exercises of piety and to press forward in the goal of perfection until at length, delivered from this body of death, they shall reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. And now Article 9 Article 9, of this preservation of the elect to salvation and of their perseverance in the faith, true believers themselves may and do obtain assurance according to the measure of their faith, whereby they surely believe that they are and ever will continue true and living members of the church and that they have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Article 10, this assurance, however, is not produced by any peculiar revelation contrary to or independent of the word of God, but springs from faith in God's promises, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort, from the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. And lastly, from a serious and desire to preserve a good conscience and to perform good works. And if the elect of God were deprived of this solid comfort, that they shall finally obtain the victory, and of this infallible pledge of eternal glory, they would be of all men most miserable. Over to Article 12. This certainty of perseverance, however, is so far from exciting in believers a spirit of pride or of rendering them carnally secure, that, on the contrary, there is the real source of humility, 
filial reverence, true piety, patience in every tribulation, fervent in prayers, consistency in suffering and in confessing the truth, and of solid rejoicing in God, so that the consideration of this benefit should serve as an incentive to the serious and constant practice of gratitude and good works as appears from the testimonies of Scripture and the examples of the saints." Article 13, neither does renewed confidence of persevering produce licentiousness or a disregard of piety in those who are recovered from backsliding, but it renders them much more careful and solicitous to continue in the ways of the Lord, which he has ordained, that they may walk therein, may keep the assurance of persevering, lest on account of their abuse of his fatherly kindness, God should turn away his gracious countenance from them to behold, which is to the godly, dearer than life, and the withdrawal of which is more bitter than death, and they, in consequence thereof, should fall into more grievous torments of conscience. And then finally, Article 14. And as it has pleased God, by the preaching of the gospel, to begin this work of grace in us, so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation thereon, and by the exhortations, threatenings, and promises thereof, and by the use of the sacraments. Well, this morning we come to the last of our sermons uh, on the Canons of Dort. We've been studying uh, this confession of our church for the last several weeks and months together. And I hope, I hope that by now, uh, when I say canons of Dort, you think of more than just, well, it's one of the, of the documents in the back of our Blue Psalter hymnal. That when I say canons of Dort, the, the phrase that comes to your mind is the doctrines of grace. God's glorious grace in salvation. We have looked at each of the five points. We have looked at total depravity. We have looked at unconditional election. We have looked at limited atonement. We have talked about irresistible grace, and we are talking now about perseverance of the saints. And in each of these, we saw how God's sovereignty overrules the fallenness of man. God is the one in control of our salvation. Our salvation is first and last a gift from Him. We talked last week, uh, as we began our look at Article 5, or Head of Doctrine 5, entitled Perseverance of the Saints, whether it was perseverance or is it preservation of the saints. I suggested uh, that you might want to look through kids and count how many times those words occur and see which one occurs more frequently in Art of, Head of Doctrine 5. They're really the same thing looked at from different points of view. We are preserved in the faith. From God's point of view, we might say, He is actively preserving each and every one of His own. We saw that nothing, nothing can snatch us out of His hand. He holds on to each and every one of His own. God preserves us in the faith. From our point of view, 
we are called to persevere in the faith. We, we may not take a casual attitude. You know, we believe in once saved, always saved. So I can live like I want. I have eternal security because I went forward at one time. No, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints puts us under obligation. As saints, we are called to persevere. This morning, our, our sermon title is Perseverance and Piety. Now, maybe, kids, piety is a word you don't hear very often. Uh, sometimes the word piety is used in a, a negative way. Um, we say, oh, that person thinks they're so pious. And we say that negatively. Think, they think they're so holy. But, kids, piety, piety is just our walk with God. Piety is our walk with God and our desire to obey God, to do things His way. So this morning, we're going to talk about this, this fifth head of doctrine. Last week, talking about God's preservation of His own, and this morning, this morning focusing on our perseverance in the faith. And why is it important? To persevere. Why is it important to practice piety? Well, our confession gives us a couple of reasons. Uh, the last part of Article 12, uh, so that the consideration of this benefit should serve as an incentive to the serious and constant practice of gratitude and good works. We pursue piety, we pursue an active walk with God, to show our thankfulness, to show we are thankful for the gift of salvation we have received from Him. Our goal in life must be to please and praise God. Our goal in life is not to get to heaven. That's not our goal. That would be the Arminian's goal. If our goal in life was to get to heaven, we could never accomplish that. We have talked about our total depravity. We are dead in transgressions, our sins. Nothing we can offer to God. Our goal in life is not to get to heaven, but to recognize Christ's accomplished work. He is the one who brings us to heaven, not something we have done. Our goal in life is to live in thankful obedience that He did what we could not do. Our goal is to be thankful in all of our living, to bring praise in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, in the way that we think. That is our goal in life. Piety, <clears throat> to live in a way that pleases God. Article 13 says, Neither does renewed confidence of persevering produce licentiousness, that's lawlessness, or a disregard of piety in those who are recovered from backsliding. But it renders them much more careful and solicitous to continue in the ways of the Lord. We want to be careful how we live to show God our thanksgiving. We cannot become casual Christians, or some use the word carnal Christians. But this, this knowledge that, that our salvation is first and last from God moves us to a greater thankfulness. 
and that then drives us to live in a particular way. Again, from the Confession, Article 12, this certainty of a perseverance, however, is so far from exciting in believers a spirit of pride or of rendering them carnally secure that on the contrary, it is the real source of humility, filial reverence, true piety, patience in tribulation. It is the source of humility. We, we practice piety to show God our thankfulness, and we practice piety to show our humility before God. It recognizes we have done nothing toward our salvation. It recognizes He has done everything. He, solely for His good pleasure, chose a people to be saved. He solely for his good pleasure chose each and every one of his own, not because we were more worthy, not because we were better, not because of anything in us. And that, that, that recognition that salvation is all of God must give us a great sense of humility. It's not as if we earned it. It's not as if we bought it. It's not as if we did anything. God came to us. We are humbled before him and therefore practice piety. And, and being humble before God, we have to be so careful not to let the practice of our piety undermine the heart of our piety. Now, what do I mean by that? When we begin to humble ourselves before God, when we begin to, by His Spirit, more and more conform ourselves to His ways, it is so easy for our pride to once again raise its ugly head. Look what we are doing. Look how I am living. We must not let the practice of our piety undermine the heart of our piety. Because we recall that even as we talked about last time, the only reason we do persevere is because God preserves us in His ways. We are humbled before God. It is not what my hands have done that saved me. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are thankful, we are humble, and our piety serves to give us a sense of assurance from Article 9 in the Confession. Of this preservation of the elect to salvation and of their perseverance in the faith, true believers themselves may and do obtain assurance according to the measure of their, fight, of their faith, whereby they surely believe that they are and ever will continue true and living members of the church. Our piety gives us a sense of assurance. It is not because of the works in themselves. It is because Acting in ways that are pleasing to God is evidence of His work within us. Our desire toward piety is a reflection of what God has done, that He has saved us. And when we see that in spite of myself, God is working in me, I get assurance. 
God is at work because I know that left to myself, I am dead in transgressions and sins. I would never seek after him. But when I see that I have those feeble beginnings of obedience, it is evidence. God is at work. I am assured of my faith by its fruits. Our text, verse 7, speaks about the connection between how we live and eternity. Verse 7, be not, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What we sow, how we live in this life, has a connection to eternity. If we live only for ourselves, if we live only for the flesh, we will, Paul says, from the flesh reap destruction. But when the Spirit of God is at work, and we sow to the Spirit, then from the Spirit, we receive eternal life. Our works are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. They are the evidence that God is working in us. What is our desire to follow God? Do we... Do we see in our own lives every day a, a greater willing, willingness to turn away from our sins, to turn toward the things of God? It is, is it our desire to live in a way that's pleasing to Him? When we, see, when we see ourselves moving in that direction, it is evidence, it is assurance. We belong to God. He's at work within us. And of course, on the contrary, if we have no desire to walk in the ways of God, if we have no desire to follow His righteous law, if we have no desire to turn away from our sin, what does that say for our assurance? If we have no desire for the things of God, are we sure we belong to him? We can be weak, we can be frail, but God, God enlightens us, God moves us forward, God excites us toward a greater obedience. And if none of that is there, we have no reason for assurance. Our life is the evidence that God is at work. Again, not the root of our salvation, but the necessary fruit of our salvation the importance of practicing piety, to show thanksgiving to God, to, to be assured of our faith, and to humble ourselves before Him. Well, how do we go about practicing piety? What does that look like? Does that mean we have to take uh, you know, trips up to the mountaintop and sit there uh, contemplating nature and hoping God will somehow speak to us? What, what is it that, that we do that practices piety? Well, kids, the practices of piety are very regular, ordinary, accessible things to us. Again, from our confession, Article 14. And as it has pleased God by the preaching of the gospel to begin this work of grace in us, 
so he preserves, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word. Listening to God's word is a practice of piety, a desire to hear the word of God preached. This this desire to hear God's word opened and explained and the exhortations given, uh, that is a practice of piety. It It is regular children, it is ordinary, it happens every week, but we must desire that. Desire the preaching of the Word of God. Desire worship of God. And I truly believe that desire for preaching has been and will be tested in this time. We have not been able to gather for corporate worship. And I know it is the desire of many of you to return. That's a practice of piety. We have a desire to worship, a desire to hear God's Word in person. And that's a wonderful thing. And we, we look forward to the day when that happens again. But I say, I suggest that desire is going to be tested Because when we come back, whether that's next week or next month or whenever it is, when we return, the church, like every other establishment, will return in ways that are inconvenient for us. We may have certain conditions we have to meet. We may need to keep a distance from each other. We may perhaps not be able to shake hands before the service. We may have times that it is inconvenient to come to worship. And, and, and are we going to focus on these inconveniences or on the fact God has answered our prayers And he's brought us back to in-person corporate worship. Our devotion to the preaching of the word, I truly believe, is going to be tested when we return. We will have the choice to say, thank you, Lord, we are back. Or the choice to list any of a dozen inconveniences we will face. Where is our piety? And we have to remind ourselves, these truly are inconveniences. I have avoided, and I think have not used this term with regard to the church, I have not used the term persecution. We in this country do not know what it is for the church to be persecuted. Ask someone who lives under an anti-godly regime Ask someone who cannot speak the name of Jesus Christ and the call of the gospel publicly what persecution is. We are being inconvenienced, to be sure. No one denies that. But it's an inconvenience so that we may hear the word of God. Our piety 
will be tested as we return. Our desire to hear the word of God, even if it is inconvenient for us. We just sang, how I love thy law. How will that love manifest itself as we return to corporate worship? May God, may God give us patience. May God give us a recognition of what he has given to us. My own tendency is to look at what God has not given. <laughs> I look at what I don't have, and I forget to see all that I do have. The ordinary means of piety, the means of grace, hearing the preaching of the word. Our confession says, reading the word and meditating thereon. Meditating on God's word. Now, this doesn't mean, again, emptying your mind. Meditating on, on God's word is what we call personal devotions. Reading that word and, and seeing how it applies to my life. What does this word of God say to me, to my sin? What promise do I claim? All of these things. To, to meditate on God's word in a regular way. And, and our confession says to listen to its exhortations, its threatenings, and its promises. To read the fullness of God's Word. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency in my devotions. My tendency is to go to the parts of Scripture that I enjoy. Uh, for me, that's the Psalms. I turn to the Psalms uh, almost right away. But we're to hear all of God's Word. The threatenings, the warnings, the exhortations. So I, I would encourage you, if you find yourself um, consistently turning to the same types of passages, uh, stretch yourself. If you always go to the epistles, then, then, then bring yourself farther to read some of the, uh, the historical narratives. Uh, if you always go to the Psalms, maybe try some other part of Scripture. Uh, all of Scripture is meaningful for us. That regular practice of piety, reading, uh, meditating on the Word of God. Our confession men mentions the use of the sacraments. The sacraments, this regular, ordinary means. As we, as we come together and, and we stand by the baptismal font, now many of us cannot remember our baptism, but every time we see a baptism, we are reminded of God's promises to us. The promises He has made, and we are reminded of our obligation to respond to those promises. If you have been baptized, and, and have come to, to a point in your faith where, where you believe you should be moving forward and embracing these promises. God calls you to do that. We have an obligation to respond to the promises made in baptism. God gives us the Lord's Supper, His, His table, where we can come and have this visible proclamation of the gospel, where we can take and eat and take and drink and be strengthened by these, by these earthly elements. Not difficult, not hard, regular, ordinary means by which our piety is increased. We, the Confession mentions in Article 12 being fervent in prayer. Fervent in prayer. And again, I don't know about you, but I find myself so easily distracted in my prayer life. So easily distracted when I, when I try to focus on, on praying to God. And so I want to be um, eminently practical this morning uh, with regard to prayer. And I, do, I want to give you encouragements. If you are having a difficult time uh, in your prayer life, if you're having a difficult time focusing and you easily become distracted, I want to give you encouragement. I want to encourage you to consider the posture of your prayers. And this is what I mean. 
If you have uh, worked all day, it's been a busy day, a hard day, and you come home at night and you uh, try to relax and you're just so tired and you say, you know what, I, I just, I'm going to go up to bed. And you, you go to your bed and you lay down and, and you close your eyes. And if at this point you think, now's my time for prayer, this is the wrong posture for prayer. Lying in your bed at night when you're dead tired is not the best time to, um, to imagine you will stay focused in prayer. I, I, I be honest with you, I have the same thing even in my own study. If I sit back in my chair and put my head back and it's a little bit warm and I think now is the time for my prayers to begin, this is not the posture for prayer. But if I find myself being distracted, unable to focus, and I get out of that chair, and instead I get down on my knees, now my body helps my mind to be engaged. Now, now my posture is that which helps me to be focused in prayer. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying you have to get on your knees to pray. We can pray to God anyway, but there are postures that are more conducive to prayer, to helping us focus. And again, if you are having a difficult time, perhaps a change in posture would help your focus in prayer. And then finally, uh, what's the practice of piety? What are these ordinary means? Our confession talks about good works. And that's what our text talks about as well in terms of perseverance. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's perseverance. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith exercising our opportunities to do good. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And again, not because doing good saves us, it is an exercise of our love for God, of our desire to please Him, to serve Him. Let us do, do good to all. He says, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. So certainly do good to those within the church. Have a, a sense of care for one another, concern for one another. Be in prayer for one another. Show good works to one another. This is God's call to us. But notice he says, especially of the, of the household of faith, not exclusively in the household of faith. We do have an obligation to those around us to show love and good works to them. And of course, the greatest way we can show our love to our unbelieving neighbors, our unbelieving co-workers, the greatest way we can show them our love and do good for them is to tell them the gospel. This is their most fundamental need. And as God gives us opportunity that we not shy away from that, that we not avoid those situations where perhaps we'd have an opportunity to speak about the things of the Lord, but that we pray that God would give us those opportunities. And when they arrive, we simply tell the truth that we know. We tell about Jesus Christ, a sinner's Savior, one who has come to save each and every one of his own, and we call them to faith. And that's, that same call of the gospel we give again today. Jesus Christ is a sinner's Savior. 
Recognize your sin, recognize your fallenness, recognize the promises he makes to all of his own, and embrace him by faith. And know, know the assurance, the preservation of God himself, and he will help you to persevere in this most holy faith. Preservation, perseverance, and piety living in a way that is pleasing to God because He is active and living in us. His Spirit enlivens us, brings us from death to life, and then continues to live with us and give us that desire, that burning desire to please our God, to follow His holy law, and in doing so, to bring glory to Him. May God encourage us and increase our practices of piety. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your most holy word. We thank you for those who have gone before us to help us to get insights into that word. We have spent time looking at the canons of Dort. We recognize, O oh God, this is only the document of men, but it does drive us once again back into your holy word. We ask you would bless these truths to us and you would help us, O oh God, with this word this morning that we might not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, O oh God, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Increase our faith, strengthen our faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We turn to 391 in the Psalter hymnal. 391, breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. We're going to sing all four verses, 391. 391. 